Hello and welcome to the Mountain Brook Baptist Project 119 Bible Reading Plan Podcast. I'm Mary and it's my pleasure on this Friday, March 3rd, to welcome a guest to the podcast. Today we have reading for us Kathy Benton. Kathy and her husband Skip joined Mountain Brook Baptist on February 5th, so she's one of our newest members and I have asked her and she kindly said yes to be on the podcast today. So thank you, Kathy, for joining us today. Thank you, Mary, for having me. I really appreciate you asking me to do this. I'm going to be reading Leviticus chapter 16, verses 1 through 22, and then ending with um, verse 34. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he will die, because I appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. This is how Aaron is to enter the sanctuary area, with a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. From the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering." But the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the desert as a scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household, and he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. He is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain. He is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord and the smoke of the incense shall conceal the atonement cover above the testimony so that he will not die. He is to take some of the bull's blood and with his fingers sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover Then he shall sprinkle some of it with his fingers seven times before the atonement cover. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way he will make the atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and the rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, this, his household, and the whole community of Israel. Then he shall come out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. 
He shall take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it on the horns of the altar. He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his fingers seven times to cleanse it and to consecrate it from the uncleanness of the Israelites. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting, and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the desert in the care of a man appointed for the task. Then the goat will carry on itself all their sins to a solitary place, and the man shall release it in the desert. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. And it was done as the Lord commanded Moses. Thank you so much, Kathy, for joining the podcast and for reading for us today. I want to know about you and your family. So give us just a little biographical sketch of who you are and tell us a little bit about your family. Okay, well, um, I am one of seven children, the next oldest girl of um, five brothers. I have an older brother and then one sister. So uh, we're all loud and rambunctious. But um, I met Skip when we were freshmen in high school. We started dating when we were sophomores in high school. Uh, we weren't quite 16. And then we dated for eight years, um, all through high school, all through Auburn, and then got married. Um, I taught school for one year and then while he was finishing up Auburn. And then we got married in 1979. So we were almost been married. Or let's see, we haven't married 43 years. I have to do the math. And um, we have three children. All three were born in Minnesota. Sarah Beth, who goes to church here, and her husband, Tom, and they have Elizabeth and Claire Bennett. And then Katie, who's married to Scott, and they have four, Millie, Iris, Peter, and four-month-old David. And then Josh is our youngest, and he's married to Mary Catherine, and they have three, Ellisanne, Will, and Henry. Tell me a little bit about how you and Skip met well, we were um, in our um, freshman Spanish class together, and Skip is, we're very alike, but he we also are very different, and um, I always thought he was cute, but at the time I was had another boyfriend, and um, so I didn't really do a whole lot about that, but then when we were sophomores, um, I had broken up with this um, guy that I had been going out with. We weren't dating. We weren't old enough to date, and so Skip was be he would we had lunch time together. So I started breaking in line <laughs> <laughs> and would pretend like he had quote saved me a spot so we could get lunch together. And we started sitting and we started going out and then um, eventually we were friends and and we have always been really good friends and um, we started dating and then we just dated and it we never talked about getting married you know, as high schoolers or anything like that. But we just, he just was kind of part of my family. I became kind of part of his family. I have, I mentioned that I have um, all those brothers and a sister. And the three youngest children, my three youngest siblings, cannot remember when Skip wasn't around. So that's kind of something that we didn't really think a lot about until we were addressing wedding invitations. And my youngest brother, who was 14 at the time, said, 
I can't remember when Skip wasn't around. And we were like, really? (laughs) And so it just evolved from there. And we do believe that the Lord brought us together. And And tell me a little bit about each of you and your career path. So what did Skip do for a living? Um, Skip is a building science major from Auburn. Construction engineering is what it's called at other universities. And um, he has worked his whole career at um, what's called here in Birmingham, a SIPCO, or um, we refer to it as American Cast Iron Pipe Company. And he's in ductile iron pipe sales. And then I have an education degree. And so I taught school, um, taught kindergarten in Minnesota until the, our children were born. I was a director of a child care center. And um, then I stayed home with my children for 14 years. And then I kind of backed into being a uh, pharmaceutical rep, which doesn't seem like that goes with education. No, but um, actually selling is education. If you think about someone who is good at teaching you something, they're selling you something. So I did that for about 10 years and got us, basically, I was the college lady. I paid for college and um, three weddings and, you know, some things like that. And then I've been retired for about 10 years. So now I jokingly say I'm a professional grandmother. If you had to name three fun facts, what might they be? Well, probably um, one of my fun facts is that we were and still are really good friends with Greg Olson, who was on the um, Braves uh, team, the Atlanta Braves team in the early 90s, and he was the catcher. And everybody always was like, you know Greg Olson? He married a young woman who was in our youth group in Minnesota, okay? So probably my other fun fact would be that all three of our children were born in uh, the Twin Cities area, which, um, and so that's on their birth certificate, even though they spent most of their growing up years here in Alabama. That's always something that they like to to bring up. And then my other fun fact would be is that once a year we host Queenie, that's my grandmother name, and Skip's grandfather name is G, Queenie and G's cousin camp. And if you're over, you have to be two years old or older in order to get to come and you spend the whole week with us at the lake and do all the fun lake things. And um, if you're under the age of two, if your parents come, you can be a day camper, which means <laughs> that you awesome. go home somewhere else and spend the night. And so what are some of the activities oh, at Queenie's um, Camp? Well, we, we do boating and pulling on the tube. We have kayaks that we get out and do kayaking, jumping off the um, dock and one of the th- nightly activities we do is we have um, movie night, and they all have a sleeping bag that they get to get into. Aww. And they did not know the word sleeping bag, so they call them pockets. That is so we so call much them pockets fun. still. Pockets. So uh, one of your hobbies is obviously playing with grandchildren. But tell me, do you have other hobbies? I love to read, and um, the older I get, the more I kind of have gone more toward um, nonfiction and study. I'm a teacher and I like teaching because I think that one of the things that one of the benefits about teaching is that, you know, you, you learn more than you're able to, to tell people. And um, so it's, it just is a benefit to me is that learning, learning more and more about different things. Now tell me, how did you guys get to Mountain Brook Baptist? I know that Sarah Beth is here, but uh, tell me a little bit about that journey. So we were um, had we were raised at Woodlawn Baptist Church, which is now Liberty Park Baptist Church, and then we 
were gone for 14 years from the Birmingham area. And when we moved back, we moved to River Chase and we belonged to River Chase Baptist Church, which is a community church in, in River Chase. And we had responsibilities there, taught Sunday school, all different ages, taught mission activities. Um, Skip was a deacon. I was in the choir, just lots of responsibilities. But we decided to downsize in 2018 and we're finishing out our terms of service at River Chase Baptist when the pandemic hit. So we were in the process of starting to visit churches closer to our house in Lincoln, Alabama, and suddenly we couldn't go to church anymore. So we were going online and that kind of thing. And so really how we got here to Mountain Brook Baptist is Sarah Beth was really ill this summer. And the love and community that we saw here at Mountain Brook Baptist made such an impact on us. Not that where we were visiting wasn't like that, but we just said, you know, if we have an opportunity to go to church with our grandchildren and one of our children and our dear, dear, dear son-in-law, then why not do that, even though it means we drive a little bit further and so we just have felt so at home here. The Lord has just really blessed us so. And we knew a lot of people here, and that's just made it a, an easier transition as well. Kathy, you mentioned that you grew up in Woodlawn, and I know there's a book written about Woodlawn and about this football team, and and I think Skip was actually on the football team that is mentioned in this book, and your family was also mentioned. So in just a little snippet, I know you can't tell the whole story, but tell me a little bit about that era and how your family was involved. As I mentioned, I'm one of seven children, my older brother and I, and then all of us except for the youngest child, went to Woodlawn High School. And in the early 1970s, Birmingham City Schools were facing integration, rightly so. And so Woodlawn had people who were, you know, coming from three different schools into it. And so there was some rivalries there that people were having to, you know, become Woodlawn colonels and they had been raised thinking they were going to be banks or, or, you know, another school. And so the book Woodlawn was written by Todd Geralds, who is the son of the head coach Tandy Geralds. And, um, there was a revival, I don't know how to say it except for that, in the football team where those who were Christians rededicated their lives. And those who were not Christians, many of them became Christians. And so this, this book, Woodlawn, is, is written from the perspective of Todd Geralds, who at the time was about 10 years old. And Todd had heard his dad tell the story all his life about when he became a Christian, he went to a Bible study that was at the Miller's house. Now, that's my house. My mom and dad, because it was the right thing to do, opened up their house to not just the football team, but the any students who wanted to come to have this Bible study. And when Coach Gerald's came there, he was expecting it only to be the white players. But instead, it was players from the whole football team and regular students, too. And Todd did not know, because he was so much younger, he did not know anyone except that it was at the Miller's house. 
And he wrote this in the book. So when we're reading the book, we were like, wait, that's our house. And we didn't, my mom did not know that she and my dad making that decision to allow all the students to come, no matter who they were, was how Coach Gerald's said, I want what those students have. I want to be a Christian. And one of the things that we learn from that is that we never know what our actions are doing to influence someone else or to be a testimony to someone else about who Christ is and what he does. Right, because if it had just been the white kids there, he... In the book, he kind of was like... Right. He wouldn't... Coach Gerald's would have said, well, there you go. That that was just, you know. And that was actually when, if you talk to the players on the team, which Skip being one of those um, players, they saw a... Di- begin to see a difference in the way Coach Gerald's was from that moment on. But n- none of us had any idea that it was that night he came to my house and my parent, my mom... We just were like blown away when we found out 30 years later that that was when that happened. We had no idea, no idea at all. And so we never know the impact of our decisions to follow Christ and his precepts. And we may never know here on this side of heaven. My dad was already in heaven when we found this out. So he he knew before we did because he got to heaven and you know the Lord said, "Oh, Joe, this is what happened that night." And um but so we don't we don't know and and sometimes, you know, we we have to go through hard things, but we don't know how the Lord is going to use those for our good and his purposes. His purposes. Somehow, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about praying, and you talked to me just a little bit about how you pray kind of methodically for your family. I want you to tell those that are listening more about your process and how it has been a blessing to you. Well, um, when my children went to college, and specifically Sarah Beth, I didn't like have that moment of panic of, oh no, my child's going to college, you know, because I knew I was going to see her every Auburn home football game probably. (laughs) But anyway, but when they got ready to get married, I was like, oh wait, there's so much more I need to tell you. And you know what? Sir Beth was, she had been graduated and working for almost two years. So she was no longer under my roof and that kind of thing. So I thought, oh, and the Lord impressed upon me that, I needed to pray for her. So I started thinking about how could I pray for my children? And one of the things that I believe very strongly that God's holy word is what we need to know about him. And it's just like you would never read the Bible one time and say, oh, I read the Bible. Every time you open it, there's something fresh there. So I started looking at scripture, and one of the ones um, that I pray for my children, because um, I know that this is a promise that God made, is in Isaiah verse 44, 3 through 5. Now, I'm not going to try to quote it, but it talks about your children will claim the Lord as your own, and, and that they will make Him their God, and that they will represent Him in a way that they should. And so I started praying those verses. So 
I learned that I can, you can take scripture and apply it to the desires that we have for our children. So I started not only just for my children, but also for the other things that I pray about. So I, I pray for skips. I pray all the time for different things, but I pray specifically for Skip on Monday, for the Wagners on Tuesday, for the Eckharts, my middle child, Katie and Scott and her family on Wednesday, for my son, Josh and his family on Thursday. I pray for the church staff members on Friday because God has given us the responsibility to pray for each other and to that we have the privilege of praying. Now, after I've been doing this for, oh gosh, I don't know, 10 or 12 years, but there is a great book, an author named Jody Burnt, and her book, Praying the Scriptures for Your Children, is awesome because it talks about taking those scriptures and praying them specifically for your child. And then she has one about praying for your adult children. And I pray for my adult children. I pray that they will represent God in a way that is honoring to themselves, to their marriage, to their work, to what they do. Kathy, it is Friday. So as we end the podcast, I remember you saying that you pray for the the church staff on Friday. So will you kind of tell us a few of the verses that maybe you typically use and then and then pray for the church staff as we close the podcast today? Okay, so one of the verses that I pray for the staff specifically is 1 Corinthians 10 verses 12 through 13. And this is from the New American Standard. Um, translation that says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity that you give us to hear your word each day, to think about what it means to our life. And Lord, I thank you for the privilege of praying for one another, for the privilege of praying for this staff, all of them, Lord, at at Mountain Brook Baptist Church. I pray, Lord, that you will protect them from the evil one, that you will Give them the knowledge and the confidence and the wisdom to know your word, that you will let them hear the voice of your word in their life, that you will protect them, Lord, from evil. I thank you, Lord, for their love that they give us, and please help us to know how we can support them with our prayers every day. In your holy name I pray, amen.